This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Hello, hello. Happy Monday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan, where we catch you up on the news of the day, pop culture, our lives, and so much more with fun music in between on Channel Q. And happy Mental Health Awareness Month this May. How are you feeling, Ryan? You did you get your phone back? You got your phone back. She knows the answers to this already. Well, does it make you feel better mentally? Because I know you were kind of. It's hard. I was spiraling. Yeah, you're, you're kind of going I was, there. I was kind of having like a little crackhead twitch because <laughs> I needed my technology. Um, no, I. You know, I'm so happy that I finally got it. It, it this weekend was a little weird, um, but I'm phone. I got my phone. I, that's all that really matters. Spanking new. Brand well, I don't know if it's new. It might be refurbished, but you know, okay, whatever, whatever the, the the phone companies do. <laughs> and producer Vanessa got a vaccine, so a lot of good stuff happened over the what weekend. What if she did not want you to announce that? Oh, you guys, someone's medical HIPAA. You broke all the HIPAA laws by literally diagnosing someone's like putting their business out here. By the way, the word HIPAA. Well, I apologize. Um, if hopefully it's not too late to say. Do, do you accept not too her late to say I'm sorry, producer Vanessa? I accept. They have been harassing me to get vaccinated. So <laughs> I don't know what's worse, okay. revealing that or harassing her to get vaccinated. I, I had no clue we were harassing you. Just now to you do know the right thing. <laughs> you guys just reminded me every day to get vaccinated. Yeah, and I got vaccinated, and my arm hurts. That's it. Okay. Well, we're happy you're feeling good, uh, and you're here today, Vanessa. By the way, the word HIPAA is just an awkward word. I know it's like. But it's spelled out for something, right? It's an acronym, but just like that word, HIPAA. Riveting content today. We're really giving it to you. We're kicking it off right. Speaking of vaccines, <laughs> I know I'm not the only one that thinks that, by the way, at LGT shows where you can always slide into our DMs throughout the show and we'll give you a shout out. Let us know what you think. So uh, the next stage in America's vaccine strategy, we're going to be talking about that and what incentives different states have announced to get you vaxxed, if you haven't already. Uh, plus, how to know what colleges are trans-inclusive. That's at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President Biden spoke out today about herd immunity in the U.S. Here's what he had to share. I think by the end of the summer, we'll be in a very different position than we are now. As you know, I've worked very hard to make sure we have uh, over 600 million doses of uh, vaccine. We're going to continue to make sure that's available. 
And him and the First Lady also visited a Virginia elementary school where students shared about their experience with online learning. It was kind of fun because sometimes when Miss B was like paying attention to something else, you could eat and it was fun. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, the students learned that they can do other things when their teacher wasn't paying attention. Like nap and eat. I hear you. I feel you on that, kids. Now, uh, finally, a tornado touched down in Atlanta, and it's a severe weather that has threatened more than 100 million people. A tornado watch is in effect until 7 p.m. Eastern for East Central Georgia, Central South Carolina, and South Central North Carolina. So sending our best wishes to everyone out there. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so if you thought Caitlyn Jenner running for governor of California couldn't get any worse, well, just wait. It's time for the Tea Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So TMZ ran into Caitlyn Jenner this weekend and was asked, and she basically was asked about the recent attacks on trans youth in sports. And um, here you go. In uh, back. This is a question of fairness. That's why I oppose biological boys who are trans competing in girls' sports in school. It just isn't fair. And we have to protect girls' sports in our school. But but if someone transitions and now identifies as a girl, isn't it delegitimizing their identity to prevent them? Have a good day. TMZ with the questions. Here's the thing. I I think Caitlyn Jenner at this point is... uh, Her whiteness matters more than her actual identity when it comes to the intersections of her identity and being trans. Um, She's going to be someone that Republicans can use as, oh, we have a trans friend. So that gives us more of a reason to delegitimize, you know, what's happening in trans sports. And then I also want to give you this, because I thought about this over the weekend... It's really interesting that this conversation is surrounding trans girls, right? Like our, you know, you know, trans women. And, and I, I think that's really interesting if you think about, we haven't heard anything about trans boys mm-hmm. competing. I, it just feels like in every way and every chance that, you know, the Republicans in this and the political party gets, they, they, it's the misogyny that really shows. It's the patriarchy that really shows because the, con- the, the, the constant attacks are when it comes to trans girls and trans youth. Like, especially girls in this moment. And the same thing happened with the bathroom bills, right? Because you yeah. never heard about it on the other side. You never hear about it from the other side. So it, it just is something to constantly think about. And Caitlyn Jenner is the worst, 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 worst human being ever. And so, yeah, that's your team report. I got more coming up next hour. Honey, you better get into it because I'm not leaving no tea left unspilled. Okay. Coming up on the show, will Trump get his Facebook back? Facebook's official response after an extensive investigation. That's next with The Washington Post. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It's been four months since former President Donald Trump was last allowed to post on Facebook. That came after CEO Mark Zuckerberg said he was banned indefinitely. But now the Facebook Oversight Board has made a decision on the case. Technology reporter Heather Kelly from The Washington Post joins us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So for those who might not know, what is the Facebook Oversight Board exactly? So it's sort of been called Facebook's uh, Supreme Court, except the most important thing is it has zero legal standing and is not real in the eyes of the law. 
It's something uh, Facebook executives came up with back in 2018, the original idea, as a way of sort of offloading some of the responsibilities for these really big decisions and also hopefully uh, avoiding some regulation when it came to making them. Yeah, it's so interesting because I thought when they said he was indefinitely off the platform that that meant forever. But now it seems like they're second guessing that decision. So as far as they were concerned, it was a ruling they made. They decided it was indefinite. And then Facebook itself referred this decision to the oversight board, which was both, again, created and funded by Facebook, but is considered a third party. It's independent. It's 20 people that don't work at Facebook making these decisions who are experts in all these different areas. And so it's sort of like an appeal. And they get to look at the case and what happened and decide if they uphold Facebook's original decision or if they're going to overturn it and let Trump back on. Okay, so I guess where do things currently stand? Because they're going to be announcing this decision on Wednesday, right? Yes. So we have sort of a 48 hours heads up. Um, That means that the board has come to a decision. Uh, They're going to write it up very thoroughly. It's had over 9,000 public comments, apparently. And around the same time, both Facebook and Trump camp are going to find out the decision. And there is no recourse for either. Like whatever the board says, Facebook has said it will abide by. And it could let him back on. However, it's not like a free pass for life. He could make another mistake and run afoul of some of its other uh, rules and be kicked off again. So this could be a never-ending loop, if you think about it. Wait, so how many people are on the board? Like, who's on It's 20 people. They're going to have 40 eventually. It's still growing. But only five are picked uh, for each panel on each case. And so those five people come up with their decision and some recommendations and then the whole group goes over it together and a majority has to agree on it. So is it a group of people who aren't like, you know, politically aligned? Like, do they have to be outside of the political spectrum to make this correct decision? Because it, it could feel like if they had any biases on the table, then that could really sway the decision making. Exactly. So one thing they don't tell us which five people were chosen, uh, I assume for their safety, but they also say that they can't be lobbied. But we know who the 20 people are. They're all listed on their site. Uh, And some do have known political leadings. A lot are academics or human rights or misinformation experts. It really is uh, kind of a, it represents, I think, all political ideas going into it. Okay. Well, what does this mean for other tech companies? Should this decision either go uh, for Trump or against him? So they're all watching really closely. I think so are world leaders because, you know, this could apply to them in the future as well, people who aren't Trump. Uh, They're waiting to see what Facebook does. And now the board is also going to give recommendations for policies to apply to all world leaders. And if they come up with something really smart, maybe it becomes sort of the norm for Silicon Valley and tech companies of how they handle people like this in situations like this going forward. Or they could all just keep their bands in place and be really thankful that they didn't invent oversight boards. Definitely. I mean, I feel like this could also go badly for Facebook, possibly. I don't know if they care so much which way it goes, as long as it doesn't appear that they're responsible for making the decision. It sort of protects them from any blowback if he's let back on or if he's banned for life. Yeah, but, you know, Trump has been talking about his own social platform. So do do you even think he cares about going back onto these platforms like Twitter or Facebook? I do. So the board has said that he did indeed submit uh, a statement in his defense. So I think that shows that he is interested in getting back on there. I mean, Facebook, with all of its, you know, WhatsApp and Instagram, it has over 3 billion people on there. And there's no way that anything he builds from scratch could ever have that kind of scale. And he's really dependent on reaching, uh, like, a large number of people to spread his message, or else he's just doing these press releases that he does that don't get as much attention. Wow. 
Okay, well, uh, thank you, Heather Kelly, for joining us. Heather Kelly is a tech reporter for The Washington Post. We appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Coming up on the show as vaccinations hit a plateau, the latest strategy to get the rest of us vaxxed. We'll be back in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Our office and the Department of Health, in partnership with the Brewers Guild of New Jersey, are teaming up to launch our new Shot and a Beer program to encourage eligible New Jerseyans ages 21 and over to get vaccinated. Okay, that was New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy announcing the Shot and a Beer program. That's a good incentive, isn't it? To encourage eligible residents ages 21 plus to get vaccinated. Joining us right now is Adam Cancran, a health care reporter for Politico. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so what's the current state of vaccinations and this so-called divide that we're hitting? Yeah, we're hitting a point really where, where we're, we're, we're facing kind of a two Americas, right? One is vaccinated, one is not vaccinated. And the difficulty is that we have you know, run through a lot of the pent up demand, the people who are really excited to get vaccinated against COVID and are getting to kind of this next stage of people who, you know, they're not anti-vaccine. They're not adamantly against it, but either they're having difficulty accessing places to, to get a vaccine or just, you know, don't feel like they need to go out of their way during the day to go and find one. So at this point, we're at a place where you know, we have more than 50 percent of, of, of adults getting their first, you know, having gotten their first shot already. Now we have to figure out, OK, how do you reach the next 30, 40 percent of people who aren't lining up out the door uh, for a chance to get a shot? Yeah. And I mean, there's still even a large amount of people who haven't even went back to go get their second shot. So it seems like exactly. the whole entire thing is just completely just messed up at this point. Is there really any, uh, you know, way of figuring it out and getting this fixed? Well, yeah, and you're seeing you're seeing people really and governments really trying to get creative. I mean, that idea of a vaccine and then you get a beer as a reward is is really one of the more interesting ones. When I talk to Biden administration officials, they say, you know, one, this is not something that's unexpected, right? You look historically at any kind of inoculation campaign. This happens. and It's just a matter of when. And two, the fact that this is happening so early is actually a good sign because it means that people are getting shots at a, a faster rate than we first expected, right? We thought originally this might start slow down, might start to happen in the summer. Instead, we're hitting it in the spring. So now what you're seeing is kind of the shift away from mass vaccination centers, right, to more personalized efforts to get people vaccinated. So, you know, here's an incentive in West Virginia. They're giving out $100 if you get a shot. In New Jersey, uh, my home state, they're giving out beers. And in some places, the, you know, the next kind of big focus is to say, can we get these vaccines into primary care doctors so that when people are going out for their checkups, when people are talking to their most trusted healthcare professionals, there's an opportunity to reach out and kind of say, look, are you vaccinated? No. Well, here's an opportunity right now. Yeah. Do you think at a certain point it's going to be part of like the annual checkup that you have it'll just be that easy versus you having to make an, a separate appointment? Well, and that's the idea. That's the idea that we will have so much supply that, you know, you won't need to go through the whole rigmarole of, okay, find an appointment, you know, set your time, take time off from work, right? It'll be as easy as, you know, you walk up to a health clinic or you make an appointment with your doctor and you're able to just kind of get it there as part of your normal course of business. The second advantage there as well is that, you know, focus groups and polling has shown that 
people who are hesitant to get a vaccine, people who say, well, I don't know if it's safe or I don't know if I should get it. Doctors, their primary care doctors are often the ones who are able to reach them, explain what's going on, explain, you know, the advantages here and and kind of change their mind. So that personal interaction is really important in this next stage of the vaccination campaign. Definitely. Do you think other countries are looking at the U.S. while we have some issues as a good example of this implementation of the vaccine? It is. It's 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 an example of one where when things are working really well, right, when the governments are working together, it really shows uh, logistically how well things can go. Right. We are just really, I mean, churning through shots and people on a, on a grand scale here. And, you know, it is not an overstatement when we talk about, you know, this is the biggest logistical challenge since World War II, you know, maybe the biggest public health challenge we've had in over a century. And so the fact that we are every day making progress here, uh, you know, over 100 million, over 200 million shots is a real is a really big deal. Now, the second kind of part of that is going to come when we start to get to, you know, a, a, a greater percent of the population here. And the next question is, okay, what do we do to help out the rest of the world? And that's the next big question that we really need to figure out because the pandemic's not going to be over until we're able to kind of vaccinate the entire world. I do wonder, is there a negative side to incentives? Because I do think like if, let's say, a restaurant says, oh, you can come in if you're vaccinated and then you can't come in if you're not vaccinated. Mm. That seems like that can really cause a lot of drama and we're probably already going to be seeing that soon. So <laughs> is there is there a, a negative side to these incentives that we should be, be preparing for? Yeah, I mean, you have to be you have to be careful. Uh, you don't want to politicize the vaccines in the same way that masks, masks have been, right? So you turn into uh, a negative incentive, right? Like you're talking about is where if, if you're not vaccinated, it's, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. What you're seeing from a lot of these states is an, a, a, an ability to kind of, or, or an attempt to kind of create a positive incentive, right? So look, we're not going to take in West Virginia any money away from you if you're not vaccinated. But if you decide to, that's a hundred bucks in your pocket, right? Uh, in New Jersey, you know, if you go, if you, if you want a beer, we're not going to take that away from you, but you'll get a free one if you go and get vaccinated. So this, there's this idea of a positive incentive that gives people something special, you know, extra, makes them feel a little bit more special. But at the same time, we're not creating this kind of two-tiered two kind of conflicting us versus them uh, idea or, or concept. Definitely. Well, that was Adam Kankaran, healthcare reporter for Politico. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Coming up on the show, why the Disneyland Snow White ride is being attacked. Has cancel culture gone too far with this one? That's next. Disneyland reopens. And let me tell you, there are pictures on social media of people crying. People are freaking out about the reopening. They also revamped their Snow White ride, and it's become a target of cancel culture. Uh, Because it does feature the iconic kiss by Prince Charming that happens as Snow White sleeps. And as we know, without her consent. So the theme park opened, you know, on Friday in Anaheim. And right away, uh, these SFGate reviewers, Katie Dowd and Julie Tremaine, attacked the ride for including the kiss. And they said... Uh, and they weren't right for the San Francisco Chronicle. Haven't we already agreed that consent in early Disney movie- movies is a major issue? 
And the real question is, why not reimagine an ending in keeping with the spirit of the movie and Snow White's place in the Disney canon, but that avoids this problem? If you're going to redo everything and update the ride, update some of the storyline as well. Do we really think this is cancel culture? I think that it's a way, I mean, it's dragging, but they're called them out. Who's dragging them? Oh, the SF gate people as, as well as other people. I don't think they were really dragging them. I read the article um, on sfgate.com and no one was really actually dragging them. Um, they actually said that the the new ride is really incredible. It keeps up to a lot of its storylines and it, it still was able to pres- uh, preserve a lot of the sp- suspenseful moments that everyone kind of loves and cherishes about the ride. Um, but I do think it does uh, create kind of um, some critical thinking to what rides are. Uh, and it it really brings forth kind of Disney's problematic past and saying, well, how should we kind of reimagine that? Is there a possibility to reimagine that, especially when it comes to the rides? Obviously, the movie still exists. There's no cutting a new ending but maybe in the sense of a ride you're allowed to do that in some sense and for me i kind of understand where people are coming from i understand that this idea of consent is something that is lost upon a lot of disney movies and i didn't think you know parents are trying to figure out well is this something that our progressive parents are trying to think figure out is this something that i want to kind of teach my kids i'm gonna say what i always say um it's up to you how you parent your child. So if you if you want to tell them and show them this movie and have the conversation about why it's uncomfortable and why you know people are calling it out, then do that. Yeah, do it. Um, but this idea that and what I kind of really don't like about this conversation is this is kind of like just another key point on the Republican list about oh my God cancel culture and this is not what that. How is. dare these woke liberals who are ruining Disney? No one's doing that. You know, so yeah, here's the thing. Uh, I it's political. I theater. personally, uh, I don't care. like if, if I went on the ride and I saw that I'd be like, mm, like, I don't care necessarily at the same time. I feel like if I had a child, I might I would probably have a conversation with them. Right. And so once again, it's not like you're going to redo the classic movie. If you were going to modernize it, you probably would. If you're going to redo it, like do a live action version for the movie. now. But, but I'm saying if you're a new live action or a new uh, updated yeah. animation. Yeah, you probably would redo it. And I think if you are going to update these rides in terms of tech, then like, yeah, you can have them coming together at the end without him giving her a creepy kiss. I, I mean, <laughs> you are a fan of the creepy kiss. I'm always fans of creepy. No, I'm, I'm. I like the way my boyfriend creepy kisses me. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I know that yeah. was a joke. I'm not fan of creepy kisses, and I've had my fair share of moments of where I, I had. Um, oh my god, we have to leave. I have a back. My own background in like figuring out what consent means to me, yeah. it goes deep, yeah, and it's sure. a real issue. And so we could, you know, joke around about it here, but it is a uh, don't say we. I didn't joke around about nothing. I I sometimes poke fun at it. <laughs> <laughs> I will use I statements. Yes, uh, but please. that said, it, it is a deeper conversation we can get into, and it's important to know the nuances, even though you think it's something a superficial or something entertaining. I think we should be careful, though aligning things under cancel culture because it's only helping push a Republican objective and narrative. Oh, it's definitely become like a buzz term that folks use to get attention. It's I mean, not I, folks, it's Republicans. I used it. it. I used the term getting into this segment. I know, and I, that's, I had a problem with that. That's Good why I'm saying what I'm I I'm happy said. you're having this conversation right now. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Add to LGT Show. Slide into our DMs on Instagram and Twitter. Coming up, breaking news, Bill and Melinda Gates are getting divorced.
See you next. So more details next on what. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, how to tell if a college is trans inclusive. That's in 15 minutes. Plus, what we know about the Bill and Melinda Gates divorce in the T report. Coming up because I want to know some details on that. That's for sure. I was very surprised. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Senator Elizabeth Warren discussed the filibuster and Biden's American Jobs Plan on CBS this morning. Uh, that could give us a fourth stimulus check and more. I am prepared to go to budget reconciliation. I'm somebody who thinks that the filibuster should not be used to give Republicans a veto on things that this country needs. Her new book is out also. She has a book called Persist. That's why she's been doing the media rounds as well, where she dives into gender issues and her failed bid for president. Now, the southwest Ohio county of Butler is working to contain a 700 percent rise in HIV cases. Health officials say the increase is due to the use of injected drugs and state authorities are now working to prevent new infections by setting up bloodborne infectious disease prevention sites in two of the county's cities. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, my God. Bill Gates and Melinda Gates are no longer it's not happening. They're getting a divorce. It's time for the Tea Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Yes, you heard me right. The couple announced just an hour ago in a joint statement. And might I add, yes, Bill Gates, the one who is est- uh, worth an estimated $130 billion. Here's a little bit of the statement. After a great deal of thought and a lot of work on our relationship, we have made the decision to end our marriage. Now, honey, if you're like nosy like me, and your first thought was, well, how much money is Melinda getting? It's unclear um, if the couple have a prenup, but the New York Times back in 1997, I did my research here, wrote that they are reported to have one. So I don't know if that means, girl, you spent all this time with him and you ain't going to get as much money as you thought because you signed a prenup. How stupid was that decision? I mean, she's been very heavily involved in a lot of what he's doing. So my hope is that she's been paying herself and has her own savings and they set it up right. I mean, you never really know. Um, I I can't help but talk about billionaires without bringing up this billionaire couple who got divorced, Jeff Bezos and Mackenzie Scott. They announced their divorce in 2019. Mackenzie became the richest woman in the world when she gained $38 billion from the split. That was about a quarter of the couple's reported $137 billion net worth at the time. So I don't know. Maybe Bill Gates will do something special for Melinda, and maybe they have something in that prenup where it was like, if you stay with me for like 20-something years, you can take a whole bunch of money there might she be needs that. at least a good you know why not 50 billion he's probably worth more than 130 billion at this point doesn't it say how much fully how much is he worth Did well he it says an that? estimated 130 billion oh uh, that's why i'm like give her give her a little like, bit like give her 50 bill, like but even she ain't that, gonna do nothing but give it to damn uh, charities she's like, gonna give it to charities yeah that's all they're gonna do I mean, it's like they're I, destined to be poor, What? Uh, what which is great to give to charities, by the way. It just feels like they. she really wants to be regular and poor. <laughs> I am a charity that she can donate to. Right? She We're wants all to be charity. poor. I mean, they could help everyone in the country right now at this point. <laughs> but uh, what will happen to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Will it be like the Bill and will she continue I putting think her name there? They actually like um, spoke a little bit about that. They're going to continue to do their foundation stuff together. 
Um, so that's not going anywhere anytime soon. They said, we continue to share a belief in that mission and we'll, uh, we'll continue our work together at the foundation, but we no longer believe we can grow together as a couple in this next phase of our lives. Plot just... twist. Melinda's a lesbian. No, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would actually kind of be iconic I, I think to be like the richest be, lesbian right? in the world. Actually, the Marriott, <laughs> uh, the Marriott uh, has a a family member in the Marriott fam- family. I think it's that she is one of the richest lesbians. No, she's not a lesbian. I'm just joking. No, I know, but she, I, I, there is a very rich lesbian. Oh, she, oh, in the Marriott family. Yeah. Wow. I'll be a lesbian. So that that said, with all of this, I do want to know. Like my my gossipy mind, which even though I don't gossip really like that, yes, I, I want to know she what does. happened. I do want to know what happened. She most and we were talking about like it will really prove what type of person he is with who he ends up dating or doesn't date. Who knows? Anyway, I don't really care that much because there's still two rich people who won't be giving me any funds anytime soon. But if they want to, my cash app is dollar sign R Mitchell 45. Oh, it is. <laughs> it Good is. to know. It is, you know. Um, but as we're uh, ending this tea report, because I got a lot of stuff to spill next hour, Las Vegas is open for business and Channel Q is giving you the chance to get down to business poolside with Tiesto. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com for your chance to win a trip to Las Vegas including round trip airfare for two and an epic two night stay at the all new Resorts World Las Vegas. Plus we got some VIP passes so you can actually really just chill with Tiesto. It's absolutely a moment here. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com for all of the details right now. And um... Wow. Bill Gates and Melinda Gates. They're done. I know. It's, it's sad. They really did it for me today. Did it really? Were they like your couple goals? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, all my couple goals have ended it from all Angelina Jolie and Brad like Pitts. 75 years old. <laughs> okay, coming up, a professor joins us to share how to make sure you are entering an affirming and inclusive college environment. More on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Two to three percent of U.S. teens identify as transgender or trans. So how can colleges be more affirming and inclusive? Abby Goldberg joins us, professor of psychology at Clark University. Uh, Thanks again for being here for this. Thank you for having me. Now, you did research around college policies and what supports trans students. So what did you discover in your work? Uh, Well, I found that uh, essentially trans students appreciate and value when their institutions are explicitly affirming of them. So they have policies that include gender identity and gender expression in their non-discrimination policies. They have gender inclusive restrooms, including, um, you know, in all new buildings and in really kind of heavily trafficked areas like, you know, campus centers. Um, They appreciate the ability to be able to use their chosen name as opposed to their legal name with faculty and on forums. Um, They appreciate being able to use the pronouns that they use for themselves. Um, And they appreciate having trans-inclusive healthcare services, counseling services, LGBT and trans-specific groups on campus, um, and just a general climate of affirmation and inclusiveness. Yeah, are schools making more of an effort of putting this kind of on their uh, missions or what uh, their websites of, you know, mm-hmm. information that people who are looking to attend the school can find out everything to know, like, oh, okay, this school feels like it is meant for me. 
That's a great question. Um, I think some schools have it in pretty prominent places, like on their website and their materials. But for some others, like you kind of have to search for it, right? Like a lot of folks say that, you know, a lot of students who attend college say they really had to go digging to find out, for example, how to get their name changed um, on campus records. You know, it's not necessarily broad, you know, broadcast. Um, and, you know, some folks, and this has been particularly hard with the pandemic, you know, to really get a sense of a college, you have to go visit, you have to talk to people, um, you have to find out what their experience is, because there are all those kind of intangibles, too, right? Like, if you're in a class, and, you know, does a professor respect your pronouns? Um, you know, what does it feel like to be on campus? Are there other trans students? Are there trans students who are active in uh, the life of the university? Are they serving in positions of leadership? You know, a lot of those things aren't necessarily things you're going to find on a website. Definitely. And are teachers starting to be more trained around how to, uh, you know, be inclusive and what that even means and um, how to work with LGBTQ plus students in the community? I think that, unfortunately, the most affirming faculty are the ones that seek out that type of training and education for themselves. Um, you know, there are you know, very few schools that I know of uh, require any kind of training wow. from, from by their faculty and by their staff. So it's sort of like the ones that want to do good go out and get the information, the education. And a lot of folks don't, don't do that. Um, and they often have to be educated by trans students and allies themselves, um, which is arguably unfair and puts trans students in a very um, uncomfortable and difficult position. Yeah, it really does. And I, I love that you highlighted in your article about the financial material support, because I had no clues mm -hmm. that uh, that some schools have emergency funds for trans students. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, um, just in my research, I found that there are there are some a select number of institutions, not many that have, you know, emergency emergency support for vulnerable students, which does include um, LGBT and specifically trans students, um, recognizing that trans students actually do tend to carry more uh, financial debt. They tend to, they're more likely to work during college. Um, they tend to have fewer resources. And there's a lot of different reasons for why that might be. But um, one reason is that some trans students don't have the type of family support um, that cis students might have. And so they, you know, they have certain financial limitations and, and they do need some extra emergency support. So it's great that some schools have those little pockets of money available to them. All right. We have like 15 seconds left. Are there any schools doing this well? Anyone, any colleges you would recommend? You mean like specific universities? Yeah. Um, UMass Amherst has a long history of being super trans affirming. Um, and they have the Stonewall Center, which is led by a great trans ally and advocate named Jenny Beeman, who's also my colleague and friend. Yay. Amazing. Shout out. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for your work and for being here. This is great. Thank you so much. That was Abby Goldberg, professor of psychology at Clark University. Coming up, it's Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, and we are highlighting leaders in the space, how one entrepreneur is uh, changing how we look at Asian food with her company. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, our next guest recently spoke out about Asian food companies or restaurants describing themselves as authentic and why that's problematic. Kim Pham, co-founder of Amsam, joins us now. Thanks for being here. We read your piece and we were like, we got to get her on the show to share more about this. <laughs> 
Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Can't wait, can't wait to dish. Yes. So tell us more first about Omsom, your company. Yeah, for sure. So I am one of the co-founders of Omsom, a proud and loud Asian food brand. Um, I actually run the business alongside with my sister. Um, and we are first-generation Vietnamese Americans and daughters of refugees. And, and growing up, we actually grew up just south of Boston. We never really kind of felt fully seen by this quote-unquote ethnic aisle in mainstream grocery stores. I don't know if you've been to one recently, but they're super old school, really diluted. And we just wanted to build a brand that would really reclaim and celebrate the multitudes within Asian flavors and Asian stories. And so, yeah, Amsam was really born from that mission. Yeah, and I mean, you all have one rule, it seems like, that you refuse to use the term authentic. <laughs> and I think that's really interesting because your article really talks about kind of this um, this idea of the word authentic kind of only existing in Western civilizations and how it's kind of been mm-hmm. co-opted. And I, I, I even think about Bon Appetit and Condé Nast and what has kind of happened there when, you know, people started speaking out. The chefs of color started speaking out against the, the white chefs saying, guess what? I'm not being paid nearly as much of them, but they get to you know cook my my food for my culture and all these things and it's really bringing this kind of conversation on authenticity and 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 chefs of colors kind of getting the shine what what was your decision behind that authentic term why don't why don't you like it yeah for sure and i i totally hear you on that for us you know it was something that as individuals we had used for a long time in our lives but then actually when we started the business it was so often coupled with a very specific expectation of how food from the communities of color should look, should taste, and frankly, should cost. And we're like, hey, I know this is meant to be complimentary, um, you know, like, you know, when you're saying something is super authentic, um, but oftentimes it, it, it's a burden, frankly, that only chefs and restaurants of color have to bear. There was actually like a, a report done where they looked at a ton of Yelp reviews, and it basically showed that when it comes to Western cuisines, Western cuisines are given space to be authentic, fusion, inauthentic, modern, you know, old school. But when it came to the cuisines of communities of color, authentic, quote unquote, was always, always tied to being kind of hole in the wall cheap. And we're like, we get it. Like we get that you want to preserve something of tradition. And that's why you want to use that word. But really, as we think about the future of these cuisines and these creators, we really have to kind of make space and make room for these folks to be innovative and be creative. And sometimes that might mean, you know, changes in recipes or in ingredients or technique, but really kind of that being part of a larger, hopefully like, you know, steps forward on what it means to be, um, you know, or what it means to eat Asian American or, or whatever other sort of cuisine. So yeah, it's, it's a really, it's been a really interesting journey for us on, on that word. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of different reactions, how can customers be better? So we're not feeding into all of this and being problematic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think ultimately like that, the reason we, we seek authenticity is, is I think ultimately rooted in a good place, right? Like we want to respect and honor these, um, these cuisines and, and their communities. But I think it's important to kind of understand why are you asking for authenticity, right? So I think there's a couple questions that I ask folks ask themselves as they think about that word is like, one, whose point of view are you centering, right? Like, why are you asking for authenticity? You know, where are you coming from? What sort of power and privilege do you potentially have as a customer when you ask for authenticity? Because most of the time, a lot of folks are like, oh, I don't know if it's authentic because it might be too expensive. And like, what does that say about, you know, the communities um, and how we value their food? And then also, I think it's really important to just ask, like, who is explicitly profiting off of that work? 
Like, I think I'm really excited to see BIPOC chefs, you know, continue to play around with their cuisines. I'm really excited to see like third culture cuisine pop up. And I think that is authentic because these folks who, you know, have the expertise, perhaps grew up with these flavors, you know, have roots in these communities are the ones who can, you know, build on top of its foundation. And so I think, you know, the, the question of appropriation, which is very tangential and, and sorry, parallel to um, authenticity, I think that comes into play when you think about, hmm, you know, does this restaurant or does this dish, um, you know, truly pay homage and truly compensate folks of those backgrounds during this process? You know, it's nothing is like black or white, you know, with this sort of thing, but really just thinking about power, privilege, and and who's ultimately profiting. Well, my thing is, I, just, I know the responsibility does rely on the customer, but I also think it relies on the people reporting it because it mm. feels like there's essential, you know, there's this gatekeeping that's happening where if these reporters are these people deeming these, like these food critics are deeming, oh, this is authentic or this is right when the chef is white cooking, you know, an Asian American dish, it just makes no sense, right? And so it, it does feel like some of the responsibility also falls into the hands of whoever's reporting on this stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, and we're seeing that, right? Like this reckoning within food media of like, you know, how do we perhaps perpetuate, you know, colonialist views of food uh, when, when you, like you said, the gatekeepers look how they look. Yeah. And then what about fellow chefs that you talk to that aren't Asian American, but yet who continue to make this food and profit off of it? Like, what's your message for your uh community as well of uh, food makers, I guess, or creators. Yeah, for sure. It's so, it's so complex. Um, and and I, do, I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, only people of those backgrounds can create their food. I, you know, I don't, I don't think of it like that, but I do ask like, hey, if you are like profiting off of it, how are you crediting and compensating folks of those communities? Like, you know, are you compensating like the, the cook's that you work with? Are you, do you have like an advisor of that background who can kind of check in on you with your branding and your marketing? Like I, I'm not one of those. Yeah. It's not like, like, you know, only, only one community can cook that food and it can only right, look one way right. forever. But I do believe that there's a way to do it really respectfully and, and frankly, equitably. Um, and, and that's like involving someone every step of the way. So for, for us, for example, you know, I'm, I'm Vietnamese, but I can never purport to tell someone how to eat Korean food. So what we do is we, we involve for every cuisine that we build a product and we partner with a chef of that background and they're actually paid a royalty fee. Um, because it's not a one-time engagement fee, which most CPG um, brands would do for us. We're like, if we're, if we're going to make money, you're going to make money because you are the key to us understanding you know, these ingredients, these recipes, these dishes and their legacies within these communities. And so that for us was like non-negotiable from day one. Um, and I would love to see like perhaps some more of that, you know, um, involvement um, as, as folks kind of think about experimenting with cuisines outside of their perhaps what they grew up with. My thing is if white chefs can make whatever they want, so should BIPOC chefs. I mean, don't exactly. be pigeonholed held and into then on just the other making, side, yeah. you know, just making stuff that is just strictly from their own culture because that that's that's the what we're seeing here. It's only, you're only asking, you know, BIPOC chefs to make whatever they're used to making yep. and that's not fair. BIPOC chefs have that freedom as well. So I think that's yep, 100%. really the point here, you know. Well, uh, thank you so much for your piece and for being here today for all your insights. We appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me, y'all. That was Kim Pham, co-founder of Omsom. Check them out, omsom.com. Next up on the show, a Hawaii tourist is claiming she was pressured to leave the beach by a mom who told her that her bikini was inappropriate. So who is in the wrong? We debate. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A Hawaii tourist claims she was pressured to leave the beach by a mom who told her that her bikini was inappropriate. Here's the video she shared on TikTok. The mom starts saying to her boyfriend, no, I can't have that. That's not okay with me. And I look up and she's looking at me. So I ask if there's an issue. And she says she doesn't want to be seeing my butt and lady parts. I asked her what the issue was and what I needed to cover because she was with the kids, so I was trying to be respectful. And she just said that she wanted me to leave. She, I was in her I was in her way. So I got up and left and she said mahalo and it ruined my day. That was TikTok user Savannah Sims. That video has over a million views on TikTok. It's the bikini debate. What uh, bikini is too inappropriate? Is there an inappropriateness to wear a bikini? Like, and is it right or wrong of that mom to have said anything? Well, I don't wear a bikini, so. Yeah, I mean, do guys experience this? I mean, there are, uh, there are suits uh, uh, that sometimes, you know, you're like, okay, is that too small? It could be a bit bigger, but baggier. However, it's no. like whatever floats your boat, it's a beach. Come on. What are we like? I don't look at folks bathing the suits like this. Really? No. I mind my damn business because I'm on the beach looking at the water, not somebody's ass cheeks. What if they're walking in front of you as you're staring at and the And you're water? bothered by that? I just notice. I'm not bothered by it. I, I don't. Yeah, I just don't be looking at folks like that because it's not for me to put my own projections and my own harmful thought processes on somebody else. And I applaud you for that because that is very healthy. I hate Ryan. my body enough. I don't need to hate anybody else's body. Oh, no, I'm just joking. I, that was a joke. That was a joke. Uh, well, I and I. This is so the first weird. time. I felt bad. I didn't like you saying that. You're I was friend. literally joking. I know. It just hurt me for a second. I Girl, get over it. Okay. Grow up. Fine. I don't care. <laughs> so, listen. This isn't the first time we've seen uh, an older woman do this to a younger woman. Yeah. And I think this is like, this is what, it creates so many issues. It's like, we want our younger generation, and even as an older woman, I want my fellow woman to be strong and powerful and confident and it Not doesn't when help. you just said that some people's uh, bathing suits are too tight. But I'm just, I know it's Now you're being a motivational mean, speaker. No, what I'm saying is I don't think we should be doing this to each other. This doesn't help the female empowerment scenario when women are bringing, them, uh, bringing each other down like this. And so it was literally just three seconds ago before she was. Just I was saying how got some guys suits. could wear some super tight. You know, it's still suits. the same rules about judging. It's bad. It, should, it, it counts across the gender spectrum. I was saying no something. I was describing judged. what it looked like. I wasn't saying it was you bad. You were judging. You were judging. There was judgment in your voice. Listen, if you want to show off what you've got, go for it. You should. Ain't nobody looking. I mean, this is the issue. In the U.S., it's like strange to, you know, show off parts of your body. You go to Europe or anywhere else, it's normal. Right? Like, no one, uh, what's it called, shows off um, or does, what's it called? Oh, my God. Like, topless. No one oh. does topless here. It's like a big deal. Whereas anywhere else, people go topless in front of their family. It's not a big deal. Wait, now who's going topless in yeah, front of Yeah, in Europe, in Brazil. That feels like a thing that you're doing. <laughs> no. You know what? My family did bring me to a nude beach when I was a kid. That doesn't... I mean, you know, I, look, I don't judge other parent people's parenting skills unless your child is out there screaming and causing, you know, harm to anybody else. But, like, but, I'm taking my child to the 
Beach. Well, but this that's weird. This right? TikToker it feels a little weird. N- I, oh, now that's weird. Now you're judging. Yes, to take your child to a nude beach. They're nude. They're a child. They're running around nude. Why with would it be bad for them to see with other, other nude with people? other grown adults? Yeah, that's a little strange. Is it strange? Am I am am, am I having an All issue? All I'll now? say is I went my my stepbrother and stepsister. I was like six. <gasps> but my, my mom and my stepdad didn't go naked. I mean, I've seen my mom naked, so that well, would have been fine. Of course, that's fine. your parents. But then you're you're seeing the whole world naked. Yeah, well, that's what life is. People are naked. People don't wear clothes. It's where, like, and I mean, I mean, it's a natural thing. I to mean, be I'm naked. okay. I'm open to it, but I just can't imagine you being a six year old. Well, yeah. You want, should I tell you what happened? Men well, what happened was I. It was a clay beach in Martha's Vineyard, and I ended up sculpting. What do you think I sculpted? Penises. Mm-hmm. What would a therapist and say? We under, and now we wonder what your your relationship with men. We really do. We lost track of if this was right or wrong, this TikToker story. I don't think we, we just sh- went off the deep end I, on my life. She should have stayed and she should have told that woman to go ki- uh, kiss her. She should have stayed and then t- done a TikTok. That would have been a Karen on the We're beach. We're so late. We have to go. All right. Let us know what you think at LGT show. So many questions Taking here. Taking your child to a new beach. That's a new one. Yep. Coming up, uh, when vaccinated Americans will be able to visit Europe, plus the latest fashion line its daughter Gianna. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour, signs you don't need therapy anymore. I mean, that's a different angle for Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, plus, we've got some more talk show drama coming up in the T-Report. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Uh, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas uh, spoke out about the Biden administration announcing four families who are separated at the Mexico border during Trump's presidency will be re- reunited this week. Here he is talking to uh, Gail King on CBS This Morning. This is really about an all-in public-private partnership to reunite the families and begin the healing. So that's very four proud kids. How many? That how many more are left? How many more are left, Secretary Mayorkas? And then we've got to go. I'm just glad we're making progress on this. How many kids left? We have left? hundreds left. Yeah. We have hundreds of families left, and we will reunite them all. Okay. Well, American tourists have been fully vaccinated. Those who have been will be allowed to visit the European Union this summer. That's according to officials in Brussels. It's unclear how countries will determine if travelers have been fully vaccinated. But nations and air carriers in Europe have been discussing the use of vaccine passports or vaccine certificates for months. The CDC currently warns Americans not to go to Greece, Italy, Spain, or even the United Kingdom. And finally, Vanessa Bryant, the widow of late basketball star Kobe Bryant, honored what would have been her late daughter Gianna's 15th birthday with a Mambasita clothing line. The Mambasita and Danny Joe unisex collection has 10 items that include tie-dye print hoodies, sweatpants, and face masks. And the hoodies also feature hashtag play Gigi's way on the right arm, which was Gianna's basketball shooting arm. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so yeah, there's there may be some drama, but I really just want to know: Is it weird to not invite your coworkers to your wedding? Let's talk about it. Uh-huh. Um, it's time for the tea report. Those <laughs> pop culture stories trending right now. So Jenny Mai, if you're not familiar with her, uh, she is a host on The Real, and uh, she got married last month, but she didn't invite 
any of her co-hosts for the wedding. Here she is explaining why. Was the real family invited to the wedding? This is 313. So we had a very COVID safe wedding in our home, which means there was, I mean, literally just a couple, there were two tables in our living room of our closest, closest family and friends, people I grew up with, people that had to know me and Jay. Those were the two rules. Jay made my list and I made his list. And we were very firm on, because of COVID, you know, you're not supposed to be throwing events right now. You're not supposed to be putting anybody in risk. And so with our family, we said, we are only going to invite our close family and people who know us both. So wouldn't her co-hosts know them both? And then also, if you're knowing that there's restrictions of having an event, even if it's a wedding, why even have one right now? You should just wait. But I do find it a little weird that you did not invite any of your co-hosts. I mean, shade alert. Thing is, you if you invited one, you'd have to invite all. And there's a bunch of them. It's not just the, no, it's us not. Here. It's we only, it's only like three, three others. Yeah, four others. That's like, and with if they brought dates, you know, you're talking about eight other people, ten other people. Yeah, so if that's an issue for you because of COVID concerns, then why are you having the event in the first place? Because they wanted to get married. That's they wanted a pro- to do it. So you would selfish. just do it with your family and that's it. I don't know. I think I don't, I don't think that's I mean, responsible. Because if you're going to talk about the responsibility of having, uh, you know, trying to make it as COVID safe as possible, well, the COVID safe thing is What's not having it. But the, but the co-hosts weren't in her bubble. It's not having it. And then she's saying that, you know, it's it's only we only wanted people who know us both. Well, they know you. Y'all are been y'all been doing this like I wonder, I think show we, for like seven, I, eight years. I sometimes think we overestimate how close people are who work in these situations. Like I am, I personally, if I'm, uh, you know, a co-host with someone, including over years, I get close to my folks. Right? I mean, we're like family. It sounds like she's not inviting no, us I, to her I would, wedding. You and are I don't want to go bubble. to your stank wedding. No way. <laughs> Like, how dare she? Wow, that's, you're already calling that's my a, wedding stank? Yeah, because if I'm not there, then it's stank. And if producer Vanessa ain't there, said, it's stank. I was about to say how I You was I basically saying how you understand how you, I'm not invited to her wedding. It's done. The tea report yourself. is over. I didn't uninvite. I, you I said, said that I wasn't invited. I heard it. Did you hear producer Vanessa? I just Vanessa? said how I get producer close Vanessa with my heard it. and I would invite Produ- my people. What did you hear, producer Vanessa? I was Vanessa? thinking like, uh-oh, we're not getting no, this. Thank you. Thank you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. Well, we don't have time for you to finish your sentence. That's your tea report. You said what you said, and we'll talk about it. Like like Jeannie Mai or others that, like, some people though aren't close. There's a lot of close. She just said that we weren't close, guys. So that's your tea report. I got more coming up next hour. This is what I need to deal with. That's what you said. I'm literally just going off of what you said. No, I have. You can only listen to people by what the words come out of their mouths. Coming up on the show, signs are done with therapy for now. This is not a conversation for me because I need therapy every single moment of my life. All right, what's next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, and we're approaching it from all angles here on Let's Go There. And with that said, we wanted to talk about how do you know when it's ready to graduate therapy? And by the way, we will be talking more about, you know, how to, how to find a therapist and if, when to get a therapist. People, but We love talking about mental health. Yes. yes. So we're going to be touching on it all. So joining us right now is Allison Obrega, clinical social worker and therapist. Thanks for being here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. So at what point 
do you decide that you're done with therapy? How how does that work? Because I've always had a hard time cutting the cord. I mean, unless I couldn't afford it anymore, I guess. Or I was just trying to run away from my problems. You're not done, Sheer. I can tell you that. <laughs> you're right. I keep growing as a person. But let's go to our guest, Allison. <laughs> yeah, so I think there are some signs that you can look out for. And, and I do want to preface this by saying this really looks different for everybody. And, you know, everyone's timeline of therapy is really unique to their own goals and challenges. I think sometimes we start therapy for a specific reason and we find out, oh, maybe there's other things we want to work on. And so, you know, whether it's three to six months, a year, or maybe it's a lifetime, like there are signs you can look out for that maybe if you're not going to end completely, that it's time to maybe like step back, go biweekly, monthly. Um, And I think the number one that I see with my clients is really being able to sit with discomfort and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because I think we ought to use avoidance as a coping skill. You know, as human beings, we tend to do that. But really being able to sit with those that discomfort and uncomfortable feelings that are arising from some of our triggers is a great sign to demonstrate that you're starting to be able to manage your triggers, manage the symptoms that led you to therapy in the first place. Yeah, because I know sometimes it may feel like, you know, well, what if you run out of things to talk about? And I think, you know, some people could take that as, well, maybe that is the end of the road of therapy. Or maybe you just don't have enough self-awareness. So where's the balance in trying to figure it out if you are finished? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, if, if you are finding, like, if you're running out of things to talk about, I would definitely bring this up with your therapist and, and talk with them. And this should be a collaborative process, right? Like, your therapist and you should be on the same page around, you know, it's time to end or it's time to take a step back. Um, and really trusting yourself and your therapist um, and, and where you're at. And so I think if you're running out of things to talk about, but you're still having a hard time maybe reframing some of your unhelpful thinking and patterns, or you're still having a hard time recognizing those patterns and behaviors, which again, your therapist will be able to help you identify if this is something you're having a tr- trouble with, that maybe you're, you're still in avoidance or in denial, and that's why you don't have anything to talk about. But again, a great therapist should be able to name this for you and distinguish between whether you're avoiding these difficult topics or is it just that you don't have anything to talk about. Definitely. I feel like it's always an interesting thing to approach uh, with your therapist because you know this is what's crazy is I always think about it like is my therapist going to think that I like I'm going to be like they're going to be losing me as a client like I project my anxieties of like stopping a relationship with them like to them uh, but I guess what's the best way to approach it if your therapist hasn't brought it up I think um, just being really direct with the therapist and just letting them know, like, this is the progress that I feel like I've named and be really specific around, like, some of the behaviors or the symptoms that you have been able to manage, letting your therapist know what coping skills that you're using to manage, how you're reframing some of these, you know, unhelpful patterns. You know, for example, maybe you went into therapy and you had a really hard time setting boundaries. And you've noticed you've made really great progress in setting boundaries. And so using really specific examples from your life and letting your therapist know, like, this is how I feel about my progress. I love to kind of hear your perspective and your take. And hopefully the therapist is on the the same page. And I will say, too, like, as a therapist, 
we cycle through clients and that's really normal. Like it, it, I always tell my clients, it's my goal for you to no longer need me. So I think it's a great mm. thing when my clients make progress and they graduate. Um, and oh. so hopefully people are hearing that from their therapist, right? I did wonder, and you kind of said it, I, I wondered what happens when you, when you're finished with therapy, do you get a certificate? Do you graduate? Do you, are you able to brag and say you're a fully formed person? Um, I'm at, you know, I'm Oprah, super so Sunday. Like what happens? What bragging rights do I get? Cause that's what matters. So I think it is. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think it's definitely something to be proud of. I mean, I always say as human beings, like, a lifetime is not enough time to do all the healing that we need to do. And mm. so I think that if you if you went into therapy with specific goals, specific things you want to work on, and you met those goals, you should be super proud of yourself. And, you know, when you end with your therapist, it's not like a sudden thing either, right? Like a therapist should never be like, oh, let's end. This is our last session. There should be a collaborative process between the therapist and the client where you have, you know, maybe three sessions where you end together and reflect on your progress. And so, you know, some therapists, I know working with like younger children and families, there could be certificates that are given. I, I've seen that definitely happen, especially oh. in schools. Um, that's because then that's more for like younger kids. But I think for the, my adult clients, it's really um, just talking about our time together and leaving the door open too, right? Mm -hmm. Don't If you end with your therapist, but then, you know, something comes up and you need to go back, that's okay too. This is a cyclical process. There's no like, there's no like ending that is going to be permanent. Okay, that was Allison Obrega, who's a clinical uh, social worker and therapist. Thanks so much for all of this. Yeah, thank you so much. Great advice. Now, coming up, is wearing a mask outdoors if you don't need to performative? We get into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Earlier today, the CDC made an important announcement. Starting today, if you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors, you need, and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. Okay, that was President Biden last week. So if you do wear a mask now, is it performative? Is it a political act? Does it make it more so, one? What are your thoughts, Ryan? <laughs> I was making it very dramatic. I don't know why. Because that's it's I like, like to do that. It's uh, Okay, well, you know, we all make decisions and choices. Um, so here's the thing about this, and I think this is something that we saw um, when, during Joe Biden's State of the Union, or whatever they were, they're calling it now, uh, there was a, a, a Republican-esque third conservative media outlet who tweeted a screenshot of uh, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden up on the little stand thing. And they said, these three people are vaccinated. Why are they wearing a mask? And... <sighs> I think it's absolutely ridiculous to to fault someone for even being vaccinated and, and even what the CDC has said to still want to wear a mask. For me, I have been very like on top of it when it comes to like mask wearing and just taking 
all of the rules very serious. But even like since I've been fully vaccinated and you have you realize depending on what vaccine like mine, Moderna, you had to it's you're not fully vaccinated until two weeks afterwards. I just hit my two weeks. Yeah. And so And then um, there's the variants too. You just don't know. These are still well, new things. Well, I was gonna say for me, I've been walking like my dog in like my neighborhood and I may like not have a mask on. But anywhere else I'm going, I'm for sure wearing a mask. I don't think it's performative at all. Yeah, so I I agree. I think also when you're inside and at the level they are at, like Kamala and Pelosi, you're also you're, you're making a statement, but you're also inside. There's other people that you're protecting. Just because you got a vaccine doesn't mean it's like, oh, we're all good to go. And I I still get creeped out about the inside stuff. Like there's some restaurants. Like last week I went to a restaurant and they said, do you want inside or outside? I go, well, are you fully serving inside? And they go, yeah. And so you're like, totally in there, packed up, breathing each other's breaths. Like, I'm not into that yet. I understand that. I think it's going to take a while, too. And, like, even, um, I feel like even when I'm walking my dog and I'm not wearing a mask, like, you still see people, like, kind of looking weird. And it may, even me, it makes me uncomfortable being like, should I turn around and go grab a mask? Well, but I'm like, no, I'm I'm really not yeah. around people. I try to take her to an area, one, where she doesn't get distracted because she is an attention whore. And um, I just think that, I don't know. I think people are going to be uncomfortable regardless of not if you're not wearing a mask. Even when I'm going on a walk, too, I'll always bring my mask because I'm never sure. Maybe I might stop by a cafe. I might see someone. See, I don't do all that. I just I'm never know. So even when I go on my job, <laughs> jog, um, or just a walk or I'm just going anywhere, I always just bring my mask with me. It makes me feel like I'm ready for anything. And it's like respectful of the situation, what's happening around me. What if I bump into someone that hasn't been vaccinated? Right. Well, you shouldn't be that close to the people. Even if I'm not that close, I just like I. And also, I want to respect someone else. What if they're not comfortable with the non mass situation? You got to be there for everyone, not just think of yourself. I agree. I agree. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I just know if I'm walking my dog out in front of my house, I'm probably gonna be a little bit more lenient. Yeah, when I get out of my car, you know, at home, and I know I'm going right to my door, I'm not putting on a mask in between those two areas. Yeah. Unless, like, someone's, like, walking literally right in front of me. But if I have room to go away from them, Why are people calling it performative? Because I think it's like, well, we know the rules are now we can just not wear masks. So why are you doing it? But it's like, no, it's not like just you could do whatever. The rules didn't say you could not just not stop wearing masks. Like, that's That's the the thing is I think that they kind of, I mean, I'm happy they said what they said. But he should have been a bit more they should have been more specific that's it don't take advantage don't act like this is gone a lot of people are still going through it be sensitive and careful with people who still might not have gotten it or might yeah. take it seriously just respect each other it's i think everyone's gonna wear a mask everyone should anyway but what about people do, oh i was gonna say if it was like a crazy mask I mean, is that t- performative? T- i mean it's the time we gotta go at lgt shows or you can find us on social media slide into our dms Wearing masks. Is it performative now? If you have a vaccine, we want to know. Coming up after this, you know I'm from Can't Hardly Wait or The Gay Classic, but I'm a cheerleader. Joel McHaley joins us after this to talk about his new movie. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We love a good guest on our show, don't we? Uh, This one is someone who I also love personally, as well as I'm a big fan of his movies. You know him from the teen comedies, Can't Hardly Wait, the gay classic, But I'm a Cheerleader and the Rules of Attraction. He now has a new movie out, Vanquish. 
where he stars opposite Ruby Rose and Morgan Freeman. I mean, hello. So cool. Please welcome Joel Michaely on the show. What's going on? Hi, kids. How's it going? You know, we're good. And happy birthday, fellow Taurus. Thank you, fellow Taurus. You know. uh, So this is so uh, cool what you're up to uh, playing a villain in this movie, which is a bit is a bit different for you. Oh, uh, yes, definitely. I mean, it's crazy. You know, I'm just excited that they're allowing, you know, a gay role to not just be a best friend or, you know, some sort of stereotype of some sort. At least, like, I get to be complex and a villain, and I'm trying to take down Ruby Rose, and uh, let's see who ends up standing at the end. Would have put mean, the bets on me. How's that to say? I, I'm putting, I feel like I'm putting the bets on you. I like you already. Maybe you're, like, the nicest, coolest villain ever. Um, he's not the nicest, coolest. He's definitely the most southern genteel and like mint julep drinking. But you know, be careful. He's a snake. But I'm so you know? I, I am very proud of you because uh, this is so cool. And like what you said, like we know you for these other characters that definitely you know allow you to uh, be who you are and be representative of the queer community. But it's nice when you can play a character that it doesn't necessarily. Um, showcase you you as that yeah i mean i i think it's just important that you know i feel like i feel like the queer community is underrepresented in roles that aren't story specific to being queer does that make sense like it's like i feel like you don't see on a tv show someone that happens to seem queer or effeminate being a doctor or a lawyer like it always has to be like a central part of the storyline and then they generally don't even cast uh, LGBTQ, you know, so I, I think it's just important to like keep expanding and keep pushing the envelope and keep pushing representation in other facets, you know? Yep, definitely. And later this summer, you have the comeback trail opposite Robert De Niro and Tommy Lee Jones. Were you busy during the pandemic or did you shot before? <laughs> I shot the comeback trail uh, pre pandemic with, you know, with, with uh, De Niro and Tommy Lee Jones and and that was like, you know, a, a dream come true experience to sit around and improv with De Niro and crack jokes and, and get him to laugh was, was, you know, things dreams are made up of. But as far as like during the pandemic, I, I sh- I've been working during the pandemic, you know, in um, Vanquish, I premiere my big porn stash that I grew out in the pandemic. So it's very, yes. I have a very 70s look, different kind of vibe as a person right now and I'm trying to include that in my work, you know? And and do you love the fact that um, Can't Hardly Wait, now it's currently on Netflix, are you seeing like a new fan base coming from that and people just discovering that movie? Yeah, it's really interesting that like friends of mine's kids are watching Can't Hardly Wait now and they're becoming obsessed with it just like um, the older generation and I think it's getting a some good traction. I keep seeing people go to my Instagram and comment stuff. And then also, um, you know, they might be doing, hopefully we might be doing a sequel in the next year or so. has been the rumor. Okay. So, you know, all those clicks on Netflix probably help. Hey, residuals. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Do you hear those sirens? <laughs> yes. I live in a nice neighborhood is what that's saying. <laughs> it's all good. We love it. It's real. Well, congratulations. We're so happy to have you on the show today and to talk about all this new stuff. And we hope to have you back also uh, as you continue launching new projects. 
Yeah, thanks. I mean, yeah. Ryan, where are you? I'm, I'm missing you. I'm here. I'm here. But you and Cher were going down memory lane. I love it. <laughs> well, we've definitely known each other for a hot, hot minute. Which is, <laughs> right? Like, I can tell. I just love the energy between you two. So I'm, I'm super excited. But, he's, you know, he just wishes he was minute, born. I mean, like, you know, pre... <laughs> Electricity. It was, it, was, it was before you were born, by the way, Ryan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Joel Michael, you know. thanks again for being here. We got to go. Oh, my God. But such it's, a quickie. Oh, yeah, I know. It's it's the radio. You know, we have music to play. We have advertisers to pay us. I, I, I love it. So you guys go handle that business, and I'll go back to mine. Okay. Thank you for... Uh, Reaching out. Of course. We love you. That was Joel Michael Lee. Again, you could check him out in the new movie Vanquish with Ruby Rose and Morgan Freeman. Coming up on the show, a trans drag race alum is jumping into politics. That's next on our What's Trending This Hour. Coming up on the show, the next stage in America's vaccine strategy and what crazy incentives different states have announced to get you vaxxed. That's in 15 minutes. Plus, why Billie Eilish is being called out for her latest magazine cover in the T-Report. She's not being called out, by the way. Okay. Or what critics are saying. It's fine. You'll find out more in the the T-Report. Okay. That's just a tease to get you thirsty. Uh, But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Uh, Two national pharmacy chains that that the federal government trusted to inoculate people against COVID-19, they account for a bunch of the wasted vaccine doses. That's according to government data. The CDC recorded over 182,000 wasted doses as of late March. Uh, That comes from CVS and Walgreens. Yikes. So that sucks, um, including when so many countries are, are... still don't have vaccines and are not doing well, including India. And so once again, we hope something is done about that. Now, good news. Honey Mahogany, known to many as a contestant on the fifth season of RuPaul's Drag Race, is running for chair of the San Francisco Democratic Party. Currently the vice chair seat in her local county central committee, Mahogany would be the first black person in modern history to lead the city's Democratic Party and the first trans person. Uh, San Francisco is a stronghold of Democratic power and the home of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and, of course, former home of VP Kamala Harris and California Governor Gavin Newsom. So early yes, Queen, uh, to Mahogany for doing that. We'd love to see it. That was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, Billie Eilish, she broke the internet this weekend. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Miss Billy, Miss Billy, I am so happy to see her out of a 6X t-shirt and a baggy pants. It is, like, insane. But uh, she graced the cover of British Vogue. And let me tell you, she looks gorgeous in an old-timey kind of classic pinuppy look. Um, she's most definitely showing off her curves and a corset. This bombshell blonde hair moment. The boobs are out. The the curves are out. It's just, it's, it's shocking because, you know, Billy has been been a huge person of talking about not showing off her body and just even like shooting down body shamers and just really just owning who she is right and I think in this moment people were shocked to see her revealing so much um one person on Twitter said well if you're about body positivity why would you wear a corset why wouldn't you show your actual body my thing is that um and and she said she kind of was like basically that was Billy actually knowing that she was going to get this 
uh, type of criticism. And she said, my thing is, I can do whatever I want. Um, she says she's all about focusing on what makes her feel good in this moment in her life. She says, if you want to get surgery, go get surgery. If you want to wear a dress that somebody thinks you look too big wearing, F it. You feel, if you feel like you look good, you look good. Um, and so, to be honest, I don't know if we're going to get more of Billy kind of revealing herself, but she's really not caring about any of the haters or the, the feedback. In my opinion, I enjoy this. I think it's showing off a new era for her. If she's feeling more comfortable in her body, show your skin. But I, I mean, I, I said something about it and I got on, online and, and people commented. One person said, well, it just feels weird. You know, she's uh, she's 19 at this point and it feels like, you know, everyone's praising her for being half naked. And it's just like, not really. Everyone's just excited that she's entering a phase of her life where she's owning her power and owning the body that she's in. And she... She loves it. She's uh, saying F uh-huh. everything else. Yeah. I mean, I think she looks amazing. Yeah, she looks stunning, actually. It's kind yeah, of ridiculous. She lo- she, I, I had to do a double take. <laughs> I mean, and to those people who say that, like, do you know how old some of the models are in many commercials and ads who model lingerie or model some of the top fashion? Yeah, yeah, and it's not like she has. I mean, she you do have say of what like what the mood board is and the theme that the magazine's going in. But if she felt like when she received this idea that they wanted to do this, and she felt like, oh yeah, let's do it, let's knock it out the park. Then guess what? She's doing she it. She has a bit of a Scarlett Johansson vibe, actually. No, I, don't you ever compare. I know her to you that don't woman. like Scarlett, but the like her look. I for a second I was like, is that Scarlett what? Johansson? No, yeah, I don't see it. I don't think Scarlett's that sultry. I think there's something that's hot. like a little sultry about <laughs> Billy. I don't I don't know. I don't see it for Scarlett like that. I think she's hot as the Black Widow, but that's where that stops. It's not like she's like looks cute every day, because girl, no. Um now here's the thing. We're done with the tea report here. If you want to know any of the stories that I've covered, check it out more. Head over to our we our channelq.com website. And of course, keep the conversation going at LGT Show. Now, here's a little fun business Mm -hmm. to get down to. Las Vegas is open. And Channel Q is giving you the chance to get down to business, poolside with Tiesto. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com for your chance to win a trip to Las Vegas, including round-trip airfare for two on us and an epic two-night stay at the all-new Resorts World Las Vegas. Plus, you're getting two VIP passes to, like, you know, party with Tiesto at the Resorts World Las Vegas. So what are you doing? If you're trying to have a hot girl summer, that's how you do it. You win this contest. Oh, sounds good to me. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So an Ohio high school has elected a lesbian couple as prom king and queen. A shout out to Annie Weiss and her girlfriend, Riley Loudermilk, who are elected by their Ohio senior class, which is so cool. We love to hear it. Uh, They are the first queer couple to be elected in the King's local school's district, and they've gotten already a ton of support. The district shared a photo of the couple on Facebook to congratulate them, and the picture has been shared more than 400 times, receiving more than 2,000 comments. Uh, Some of the LGBTQ commenters said they weren't able to be out at their prom, and others applauded uh, one of them for wearing a suit and said their school didn't allow girls to wear suits to prom, which sucks. Got to call out those schools and get them to change. But we just wanted to uh, shout out this beautiful young couple and congratulate them on this first. Love this. Yes, that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen.
queen. And you can always nominate someone to be featured on our Yes Queen. I have another Yes Queen. Okay, let's. No- you're nominating. Um. So Nick Adams uh, mm-hmm. from Glad got a major shout out. I know we kind of gave Elliot Page and Oprah interview. Um. A great Yes Queen last week, but I watched the interview over the weekend. It was phenomenal. Nick Adams uh, is the director of uh, just trends, um, you know, just experience and storytelling over at GLAAD and make sure that a lot of he was actually the one that um, Oprah even had a sit down conversation with him. And GLAAD just put that out about, you know, prepping for the interview and, and what needs to happen and just being a better trans ally. And Nick Adams deserves all of the shine because he's been a GLAAD forever at this point. So I thought that would be a great yes queen yep love that and again slide into our dms to share any recommendations of stories we should be covering on the show at lgt shows where you can find us on social media on tomorrow's show we're continuing mental health awareness month and how you can get a therapist at cbs now that is wild love to hear it Uh, plus why we remember more by reading especially print than from audio or video for all those folks who want to remember things i could use some of this advice that's on tomorrow's show and if you miss any of our shows or interviews we post everything as a podcast so just go to the odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search let's go there to join our podcast fam we are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And stick around for Loveline with Dr. Chris, where he's covering men and mental health. That's next.